My brownies are world famous. You guys don't even know. The key to them <laughs> is that you have to underbake them because I think the altitude affects your baking. Do you guys know that? So why I underbake and they're perfect. Why why is that a thing? I don't know. I bet there's like some scientific reasoning behind it. We'll figure it out after this, Neil. Yeah, I think that's a great activity for Neil and Miriam. Biochem majors, they can unite. Yeah, they can unite and be excited about altitudes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Bundle of Hers. This is her G in the virtual studio. We also have Miriam. Hi. And then we have two really special guests joining us today. They are both medical students. So we have Sajad. He's a second year medical student. Hi, Sajad. Hi. And we also have Neil. Um, he's a third year medical student. Hi, Neil. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited about our conversation today. It's been something that I think as the bundle of hers, we discuss a lot of our stories in medicine. And majority of the people that speak on this podcast are talking about, you know, identities that are underrepresented. So a lot of times we've had women come and speak about their femininity and how it impacts their lives. But one um, thing that we also felt like was underrepresented is the actual discussion about masculinity. It's a concept that we all are aware of, but we don't really talk about it. So we thought it'd be great to have this conversation with the both of you. So we're thankful that you will be part of the podcast today. I wanted to start with um, this question. What does masculinity mean to you? And when did you know you were masculine being? So we'll start with Sajad. Oh, put me on the spot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, first of all, I, I guess from like growing up, it felt like it was always just placed on people who were born as males. That's like this thing that was ingrained into like, I guess, me growing up. As I progressed, I realized that really wasn't the case. And there's more of like a balance. So for me, masculinity means leadership, assertiveness, dominance, masculine. I don't know if there was like an exact moment where I realized it, but it was more of, I guess, imposed just growing up. Like a present given to you would be like a car or like if I like cried as a kid, my mom would be like, no, you shouldn't cry. You're a boy. Like you're a man. You're a boy. Don't cry. And like, I guess over time, it just kind of got imposed this masculine ideology, I guess. Yeah. So I think Sajad touched on something really interesting, which is that when you're a really young kid, a lot of what you learn about masculinity is in the context of being told what not to do, being told that boys don't do this, men don't do this. Then the other half is kind of the, like, I, I remember feeling pressure when I was very young, just because people like my parents and extended family would make comments like, oh, you are going to take care of us when you're older, you are going to do all these things. And like this sense of being like a caretaker and provider definitely comes to mind. And I was thinking yesterday night about where, like, when did that actually start? Why do I think that? And it was probably around the same time I figured out that I was a boy. And how did that pressure make you feel? Do you feel like it was in line with what you wanted? I mean, more or less. Yeah, everyone wants to take care of the people they love. But it, it hits a little different when you're like a five-year-old kid and your mom is telling me like, oh, yeah, you are going to do this. I have a question for both of you, actually. Was there ever a point growing up where you had this realization that this wasn't working for you, like these masculine standards or like the pressure more so associated with it. Did you guys ever have that moment? Or was that something more so just like you accepted it and this is just the way of life versus like, did you have a critical moment? Yeah. So not like the pressure necessarily, but I'm like not a super loud person. I'm not a super assertive person. So a lot of this assertiveness and trying to be a leader and take control of situations was really not working for me. That's just not what my personality is. If I ever did try, it usually didn't go well because I just wasn't feeling it. 
Yeah. Um, for me, like growing up, I was a lot more, I guess, emotional, you know, growing up here in, in the States, like just out of my siblings too. And just in general, you know, it could be cultural, it could just be um, ideologies coming from my parents, but it was always like instilled onto me to not be so emotional and to like almost forced out of me, I guess. I struggled a lot. I think going through just school, I was always the shy kid, quiet, and like I didn't really talk much. You know, over time, I felt more of pressure to like not be that way, to be like more assertive or more dominant, be more outward in who I am and make myself present and known, have other people be aware of my presence. I think a lot of that shaped a lot of my personality because I struggled quite a bit trying to find that space where I could balance trying to balance and trying to figure out where I fit in like social circles, I guess. I kind of want to touch on that a little bit, Sajatha Neil, what you talked about, the emotional part or not being the loud one, but being, you know, someone who is thinking about things within themselves and then acting. You know, we think of masculinity and something big in masculinity is weakness. And if you have weakness, that's tied to shame. And vulnerability is seen as weakness, right? The emotional self, the self that expresses what they want or what they feel because they have to be in control. They can't share that, right? It's difficult because a lot of times it's required to be vulnerable to have a connection. May that be with your friends, your family, people you work with. What I'm hearing from both of you is there were some qualities in masculinity that you felt were in line with your true self, but there were also qualities that weren't in line with your true self, right? Kind of along that line, have you guys ever heard of the term toxic masculinity? And do you ever feel that's something you've struggled with? And I just want to clarify for the listeners, when I say toxic masculinity, I'm not saying masculinity is toxic, but the ways that it is changed into behaviors can sometimes cause harm to every single individual, regardless of their identity. You know, when I think of toxic masculinity, and I love how you said that you're not saying masculinity is toxic, it's just there's behaviors within that that is toxic. And I 100% agree. A lot of it, like for me, I remember when the rhetoric of toxic masculinity came about and I was like, I was really infatuated by it. So like I had a lot of time to introspect on it. Cultural norms like build this thing about what being a man is or what manhood is or like, you know, these things that are kind of imposed on boys growing up. It's projected in a way that's in direct opposition to like being feminine or womanhood in general. It's always presented in that way. I think as a result, it gives this like sense of masculinity, like a sense of like entitlement to certain things. And it almost feels like a lot of the times that entitlement results in a lot of, if things don't go the, the way that they feel the entitlement in, it results in things of aggression, anger, all these things that I would say are deemed toxic. A lot of the times it's with individuals that don't even really realize the effects of how they were raised are manifesting in that way. It's almost like they weren't ever given the tools to realize that that is toxic. Yeah, I agree with Sajad 100%. When like other people are teaching you what it means to be a man and all the things that you're supposed to be, you are supposed to be special or remarkable in some way. And then obviously as an adult, even as a young adult, that doesn't always manifest in the way that you expect it will or that you want it to. And you're also not really encouraged to exercise your emotional intelligence. The ways that it makes people act out, I think, get pretty nasty. Like in terms of toxic masculinity, 
I've struggled more with not living up to the toxic ideal. Mm. You are supposed to come into a room and be a presence, not always even in a positive way, but like people are supposed to know you're there and you're supposed to make your mark somehow. I guess that's like one of the lessons that I feel like I learned that I decided is kind of stupid is that you should be memorable or leave a mark in some way, even if it's not completely positive. Oh, that's so interesting. I think so. And I, I think kind of the implicit thing that that rides on is that if you're a man and you're taught all these things about yourself, about what you're supposed to be, and someone is reacting negatively to the, your presence, that's not really your problem because you're being exactly what you're supposed to be. Wow, that's kind of deep. I know. I'm like speechless. <laughs> you know, that emotional intelligence, because it's not something that we exercise, we're not, I mean, as a masculine trait, like you're not supposed to be aware of what people are thinking. You're just supposed to be aware of yourself and how you're making yourself known. I think that's something that I just thought of when you said that. For some reason, the one thing that pops into my head is Batman. <laughs> Growing up, I love Batman. But like, if you really think about like his traits, it is in a lot of ways toxic. Like he has like this misogynistic view over how he treats, you know, women and how it's depicted in comics and in, in the movies and the shows. He has like this aggressive nature to him. And like when he's little, he's bullied for being emotional and that that's, you know, manifests in the way it does. I don't know. I, I just think of Batman. It's a great one. It's funny that you mentioned Batman because I happen to love Batman. So now I'm like thinking of like why I love Batman. And it had me thinking of how... As a society in general, we kind of romanticize a lot of traits of toxic masculinity, right? That kind of like emotional unavailability, that misogynistic attitude. And I was kind of just like thinking about like, especially in the ways that we're raised, you know, we're kind of taught to expect those types of things from the men in our lives. When I first heard the term toxic masculinity, it clicked for me. But it clicked in a different way than it obviously clicked for you guys. Because for me, I didn't feel like I had to necessarily embody toxic masculinity. I felt that I had to, growing up, I had to admire these traits when in fact I did not admire them, right? Hearing that term for the first time and kind of like being critical about these traits for the first time, like created this really interesting dissonance, right? There's a new Batman movie that just came out, right? So now I'm going to watch it and I'm going to kind of like be really critical about the reasons why we romanticize these characters in a sense. You know what's so interesting? I think that being men of color, the view of toxic masculinity is much more overt. And I need to say this because I do know that people who are in the dominant society in America, white men also, they also embody some traits of toxic masculinity. But with BIPOC individuals, and I will be very straight up with especially black men, it's a huge thing that's shown, right? So I guess I want to complicate this conversation further and ask you how your racial and ethnic identities interact with your masculinity. In a lot of brown cultures, in Indian culture, certainly there's a, a much more strict adherence to that kind of script. Like men are supposed to be men, women are supposed to be women. And if you if you behave in a way that kind of breaks from that mold, people will notice, they will say it to your face, they'll be confused and they'll they'll want to know why why are you doing that? That's not manly. They will even phrase it like that. I've seen that. What about you, Sajad? What do you think? Um, I think that it does impose. It's very like strict gender roles, especially in my culture. I mean, you probably say our culture, they're they're very similar. And I can speak on this in, from a perspective that I have from my mom, because my mom played a very unique role when it comes to the culture in general. So my mom, is a, she's a very masculine being, but it's not normal in a culture that we come from, because typically they're pushed down on and they're suppressed. 
it's been very unique just hearing her stories because of how much how much of society she had to fight just to be who she was. And she always talks about how, um, you know, just because like she knew more than some of the men around her, she was able to even physically do stuff that other men can't. Like she's a very, very capable woman and can almost fix anything in the house. Like doesn't need any like any help from anyone, really. She always do it herself. I don't know. It, it still confuses me to this day because even though she was that way, she still imposed, you know, certain gender specific roles growing up. So that always confused me. But I don't know. I think I want a roundabout way to answer your question, but. It's really interesting that you say that because so Sajad and I are both Afghan and my mom kind of embodies like a lot of masculine traits too. She like was put in a situation where she kind of like had to be a little bit more independent. And I was just thinking about like how interesting that was too, because my mom too will also kind of, even though she kind of embodies these quote unquote, like more masculine traits, she not necessarily like punish me, but she'll like reprimand me for, you know, doing the same thing. Right. And it's so interesting to see her step into that role, but then step out of it. It had me thinking about like, especially thinking about it in a cultural context. You both mentioned there's these really strict like gender norms. And I sometimes think that those gender norms are built out of trauma and kind of like a necessity to make it in a new place. And I think about like how, you know, a lot of our parents, they came from different places, right? And they suffered a lot of different things, a lot of different traumas, a lot of different systems. And I think sometimes we think specifically about communities of color and we think about these gender norms and toxic masculinity, particularly in these communities. You have to talk about the specific challenges that people experience within these communities that kind of force those gender norms. I think that's spot on because when you when you do like interrogate a little bit, I feel like people have a hard time giving you clear answers. But at least for the folks I've asked who are like Indian folks who are older than me, it comes down to like it's because that's the best division of labor to like ensure survival. Yeah. At least for most of us that have parents or grandparents that immigrated to the States, that's not really like that context is totally irrelevant to us. But there's something about gender roles in particular that just cut really deep and is hard to let go of. It's a generational thing, right? Like that's why I guess I asked you all in the beginning, what does masculinity mean to you? Because there's a societal side and then there's your personal side. And I think that we never get the opportunity to find our individualism within our masculinity and femininity, because I truly believe we all embody both characteristics but that's where it's like you have to pass it on generation to generation because it was probably a part of survival. I guess that's why we live and we be critical and we're having this conversation is to really understand ourselves. Because I grew up with a lot of qualities that I thought were masculine because I thought I had to be that way to get what I wanted so people would notice me and I made a mark. And I think this comes back to what Neil said is a lot of it is about making a mark. And I thought I had to embody masculine traits, even though I feel like personally I was closer to feminine traits just so I could prove myself and it led to a lot of distress in my life, which I'm now coming to terms with. But I do wonder, like a lot of stuff that you don't process and get in anger and isolation, how does it change who you are? And can you practice who you are? How do you think your masculinity has impacted your personal and professional life? Neil, what do you think? Hmm. I feel like people are 
Yeah, either new people I meet or just like folks from my family, they're waiting to respect me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. They expect that they'll meet me and I'll have like all these positive qualities and I'll be someone that they want to get to know and like and respect and that in exchange will take care of them. But there, there's a lot of like positive qualities that you feel attributed to you from the get-go. And if you do even the barest minimum to live up to those, you, you get to kind of own it. I think overall, like people treat me pretty nice. Because you're a man. Is that what you're saying? That's what came to mind first when you asked that question. And I think that's because I'm one of the, like there aren't a lot of men in my family. Uh, most of my cousins are women. Uh, I have a younger sister who's two years younger than me, pretty close to age. And there is a difference in like how much attention they pay to all of us mm -hmm. and to me in particular, especially when I came here and started going to school and all that. And I think it was based on that, like, oh, he's the one who, who's going to take care of us. I see. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to what Neil said. Family, I'd say very similar to like what Neil said, mainly because so my dad passed away when I was 11 as a result. So I have an older brother, but he suffers from certain, you know, mental health stuff that he goes through. So like, I guess a lot of pressure was put on me to like provide for the family in some way or like show that I'm going to do that. And as a result, that's manifested in ways of like respect. And I'm viewed a certain way within my family, people that I haven't even met, I'll talk to random people in my family, and I've never met them. But you know, they'll treat me a certain way. And, and I can visibly see it that it's that way. And I think it stems from just the amount of, you know, I guess, trust or whatever that my mom has placed in me and how she expresses that to everybody else. And that kind of manifests in that way. So a lot of it comes from my mom, because obviously it wasn't always the case. A lot of it was my brother initially. But once he started to not live up to the expectations, quote unquote, that I guess the family had on him, you know, it switched. I can literally remember when that happened too, just from me being more empowered in the family versus when I wasn't. Like I was kind of like under the radar doing my thing and nobody really paying attention to then all of a sudden making that switch. And that was very evident for me. So we're all in medicine. And I guess I see a lot of masculinity in medicine. It's very apparent how does this topic or this conversation kind of translate to medicine? And what are your thoughts on that? I think people in the hospital respond really positively to masculine energy. Right. And that refers to like docs who are precepting me, residents, other staff, patients even. They want to see you come in and act like a man, basically. Come in and have confidence whether you feel that internally or not. You should walk into the room and, and kind of leave an impression and like really own the encounter in a way that feels maybe a little more showboaty and aggressive than I would do it in a casual social context. But so far, I feel like that behavior has been rewarded. People have responded really positively to that. I have another take. I do think it's rewarded and responded well to. But I always wonder how that impacts patient care, patients, agencies, right? And having that talk of connection and vulnerability and what they understand about their illness and how can they not depend on you? They're getting this medication from you. You're helping them with a certain thing, but how can they then create tools that they can utilize so they can move forward or like have forward progression in their life in that way or growth? And I'm probably saying this from a psychiatric perspective because I think my conversations with patients that are both men and women and the way they view me is probably quite different. But I do know that there's the assertive doctors which are listened to and patients abide by, 
But then there's also the ones that sit there and kind of have those emotional connections. And the reason, Neil, I say that to you is because I know you do both. We've had conversations of how you talk to your patients. I think that, yes, confidence is rewarded. But how do you also then have vulnerable conversations with your patients? No, this is true. Yeah. So I, I think it's usually, I think I start out it kind of like how I was talking before with that demeanor. And then in the first meeting or maybe a subsequent meeting, depending on how things go, I tend to soften up and almost be myself more. And then that's when I ask other questions. Because yeah. I feel like when you're, when you're putting on a show like that, it becomes easy to kind of blow off concerns and not listen as closely as you should right. to things that aren't like going to fill in some box in, in your acronym for like history of presenting illness. What do you think, Sajad? How do you see yourself? I know you're still in second year, but something you're looking forward to. So what do you, what's kind of your thoughts on this? For me personally, I think I would probably approach it just how I usually would be in like normal conversation. And I guess it would be more of like a trial and error to see what works and what doesn't. You know, just seeing from outside perspective and hearing from other people that the assertive and like the masculine approach is what's most best received by patients. Like obviously, like you you touched on very important things of those vulnerable conversations and these times where like some conversations are more tough to have and it can be very insensitive coming from a more, you know, assertive or dominant approach. And, you know, some of those things have to be approached differently. I don't know. I think working to try to have that balance because like I think the, the profession in itself does demand you to be a certain way to be successful, at least. I'm not saying that there are people who have approached it differently that haven't been successful, but you know, historically speaking, people that are, I guess, more naturally leaning feminine tend to take on too. And it makes me question like, or, or wonder about how that impacts their personal lives, like, because they have to be a certain way, or they're forced to be a certain way. I, I hope that you guys can talk about this is like, they're forced to be a certain way in that dynamic, but mm -hmm. then they have to force like these changes or be more natural to themselves and like trying to put on an act to be a certain way. How does that affect your personal relationships and your personal lives? Are you asking us? Yeah, I'm just curious because it's something I've always wondered. I'm going to just give the caveat so Harjeet can speak to this more because she meets with patients more regularly. I'm a second year still. But in, I guess, the limited amount of time that I have seen patients or even in the work that I did prior to this, I think there is something to be said about having confidence. I have a hard time associating confidence with just being a masculine trait. We're often told, you know, some advice that I get a lot from like my female like mentors will be you deserve to take up space, take up more space, just like a man would. And so in those types of in that sense, I understand it. Right. But I also think there's something to be said about having softness in a patient interaction. Right. Having those like pauses, listening. Right. Just kind of like everybody alluded to here. You build trust with your patients that way when you're actually listening to them. And I think historically, we're led to believe that we have to act a certain way and, you know, have like this more quote unquote masculine energy. So our patients trust us more and we seem more competent. But at the end of the day, like Harjeet said, that really impacts patient care, right? Because is that really taking care of your patients? Or is that all about putting up a show? And I kind of understand like the utility of putting up that show. And this might change, right? Because I haven't had a lot of patient interaction. But I think something that I've been trying to be more mindful of is just being my authentic self with patients. And I think Harjeet, you know, I haven't like seen her with patients, but just knowing who Harjeet is, and I really want to hear your take on this, Harjeet is, 
I think that's a really powerful thing. I think you end up taking care of your patients a lot better by being your authentic self because I think people can sense that. Yeah, I think, Miriam, you basically hit the nail on the head of what I was going to say. I think confidence is rooted in self-concept and understanding oneself. And that means you are able to identify what are your feminine features? What are your masculine features? And then using them as your strength, right? And so for me... I am assertive because I want what's best for my patient. So I go in there and I'm like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. What do you think? Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? I let my patients question me. But I feel like even when they question me, I still have confidence on why I'm making allowing them to question me, right? It's because I'm helping them strengthen their understanding of their diagnosis so that they can feel empowered and have the confidence that they're being treated the way they should be treated. I totally agree with all of you. It's taught. It's very much taught in our education that we have to be quote unquote assertive and show strength and show leadership in the way that people see it. But is that the only way to live a life? No, I think there's a lot of paths that one person can take to reach the same outcome. Even this conversation is I hope that all of us think a little bit more about what we're raised as and what we're told to do and what's rewarded and what feels like us and what really is centered in who we are as people. When I think of masculinity and medicine, you'll see it the way you're treated. Even as a resident, I have had to do a lot of things on my own. I remember this particular conversation, which I had with a co-resident of mine. There was a nurse, they were basically not listening to me in a sense, because I needed some patients dressings changed. And I called them and I said, Okay, fine, I just got tired. And I'm like, I'll do it myself. And then my co-resident, he was like, Hey, do you want me to call the nurse? Because you shouldn't be doing that yourself. He then called and the response was completely different. And this is just one story in a lot of stories. But I think that there is that advantage of being a masculine being in medicine, because that's what it's set up for. But does that mean that that's the only way things need to work? No. You know, this system was built for men. Think about like our demographics, right? I think we still have a long ways to go in terms of changing the system. But I think it's important to think critically about how to change the system, but especially as men, how you guys can also challenge that, those masculine quote unquote standards within healthcare. I think part of it is the way you act. I think a lot of it is like things you choose to say out loud and the conversations you have with others. I don't think it's necessarily enough just to like on a personal level, bring that softness or or act differently with patients or with staff. Like every day you notice someone either judging or acting differently or like actively trying to punish someone for acting in a way they don't like. When you're in a position where you're able to do so without like some catastrophic retaliation against you, I think you have to like be a little mean about it and bring it up and make somebody feel bad for doing a shitty thing. I think that's scary to do, though, especially in your workplace, especially in a hospital. So you're saying like challenging people, Neil? Yeah. In, in addition to the, kind of those personal level changes. Right. But I, I don't think it's enough just to kind of embody the change you want to see. I think you have to tell people about it. Mm, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree with Neil. I think that's perfect is holding our peers accountable. And it is a very male dominant field. And as a result, it is up to the males to hold the other males accountable if they are presenting with traits that are um, toxic that we've been talking about in terms of like in the healthcare space, if it's being presented in a certain way, like the example that you said uh, that you brought up, Harjita, about the nurse, you know, a situation like that, the co-resident holding the peer accountable, obviously it shouldn't have to go to that point. 
you know, idealistically not go there, but unfortunately it does. And being aware that these things exist, having that accountability in, in, in place and just like Neil said, and calling them out and holding them accountable. Well, thanks so much, Sajad and Neil, for sharing that, because I think it's important to be something, but then also express it so people notice. And I think that's kind of what both of you have kind of mentioned is kind of externalizing your feelings because you may have that advantage of people respecting and listening to you, right? Challenging those thoughts and, you know, embodying those masculine traits in a way that it's healthy for you and people around you. I'm really grateful you guys had this conversation with us. It's very much the opposite of what we were talking about with masculinity, where I think vulnerability isn't rewarded, but you both were very vulnerable on this um, episode. So we thank you so much for that. But is there anything else you all wanted to share? It's okay if you don't. I just need to know. No, just thanks for having us on. Um, we are so grateful that the listeners are going to be listening to this topic. So if you have any thoughts, please let us know. You can follow us at, at Bundle of Hers on Instagram and also find us at www.bundleofhers.com and listen to us on all platforms. Um, it's good to be able to have this conversation and hopefully you all have reflections and this is maybe something you can share with other people as well. Thanks for being a part of our episode, y'all. Uh, bye. I'm really bad at the vibe, bye, Maria. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>